Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, AZM 18 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning. The sun is shining here in the Newcastle area. There's a beautiful morning happening outside, a little bit of fog in the valley. Life is good and you are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? I'm so good. I said I'm hungry, but I'm so good. <laughs> <laughs> so Minnie missed her breakfast this morning. I did. Which means that she's not going to have breakfast until, what, 9, 30, yeah, 9, 10. 45, 10 <laughs> o'clock. You're going to be hungry by then. I know, I know. But it's okay. It just keeps things interesting, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you thankful for this morning? I'm thinking you're not thankful for being hungry. <laughs> you know, it's a good feeling to have, you know, though. Okay. But what I'm truly thankful for is I was thinking about this on the drive here. I'm so thankful I just feel like my life is full of good people, like good friends. Yes. And you know how people say your your circle of friends is so important, but it's actually quite difficult as you get older, I think, to go into new niches and find a good group of friends. Oh, it is. Absolutely. It takes seven years. Yeah. And so when people say, oh, if you're, you, know, you don't have a good community, just go get more, that, that's really hard. And I was just- Close thinking, friends is yeah, hard. But, but even good people sometimes, like just acquaintances, sometimes you're just in an area. Like when I've moved to different towns, sometimes you just, they're just, you know, there's not- a good mob. <laughs> and I just seem to just have my life full of all these people that I'm like, you're amazing. Like, just, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm very thankful. Having a life full of amazing friends is usually, comes about by being amazing. Look, I'll take that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And right how are there. you this morning, Lars? I am I am amazing this morning. Hey. <laughs> my life is full of amazing friends as well. So Brilliant. Um, I think we should give our, both give ourselves a pat on the back. Uh, let me think. What am I thankful for this morning? I'm thankful that you don't have the Rona. Also, yes. Yes. Super <laughs> thankful for that uh, because if you'd have had that, we would not have been here today. So that's, um, that's really awesome. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Minnie, what is, what's happening for positively different news? Okay. Well, listen to this story. I thought this was great. In a town called Chatteris in England... One local teen has taken responsibility basically since March and has continued on through lockdown um, to tidy up his town. So every day he and his mum go on their daily walk and he noticed that a lot of street signs have been neglected and hedge rows have been completely overgrown. Partly it's just messy, partly it's covering the signs, you can't read them. Anyway, so he notices this he notices this and talks to his dad. His dad helps him build a like tiny little trailer to go on the back of his bike. He fills it with all kinds of things to go clean up. And every day he rides around his town and um, scrubs scrubs the street signs, cuts back the hedges. Um, every day. He comes back like super filthy. His parents are also just blown away. The, the neighbours have not not noticed this it hasn't gone unnoticed um one particular driving instructor is so thankful that he got in touch with him um and he posted on his facebook so this teenager is 15 years old his name's joseph he posted that he finds it really satisfying to look at the before and after pictures and to see what the work is that he has done um a neighbor who doesn't even know the family was so impressed that she set up a gofundme page which raised nearly a thousand pounds which is like 1800 australian dollars i believe which he wants to donate to a local food bank for families who are struggling at the moment. So this, I just think this is like an amazing little teenager that he's just like, see things, they could be improved, let's improve them. Gets donated money. Some people need this more than me. Um, Anyway, and yeah, so he's just been going out like, he was going to just 
finish when he's done, but I think when you're involved in something, you start to notice even more. He just keeps finding things, so he just keeps going. That's amazing. Yeah, and I was just like, this guy's so good. And look, this is this might be a personal opinion, but I think, you know, we're seeing so much statistics about, you know, like teens who are depressed and anxious, and not just teens also. And this is just a belief I hold just from like things I've read and things I've listened to. I actually really believe that having a sense of purpose and being able to contribute into your society massively helps. Doesn't Absolutely critical for mental health. Yep, yeah, doesn't Could necessarily not agree take away more. everything, but it definitely helps like a massive amount. A sense of accomplishment, the dignity of labour. Absolutely. It's coming through right here. Yeah. Uh, being able to see differences. Yes, exactly. That, you, that you're creating. Huge impact on, on mental health. And this is one of the things where, you know, as parents, we need to be responsible for our children if we allow them to rot their brains in front of a screen. Mm then that's going to contribute massively to very, very poor mental health. We know this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of science to back that up already. And so if you've got a teenager that's sitting in front of a screen, then you need to uh, turn those screens off, mm-hmm. get rid of those screens. You're going to have some conflict there for a while, but find something uh, something constructive for them to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're going to be able to just massively improve their mental health. And we have a responsibility as parents mm-hmm. to take care of the mental health of our children. Mm-hmm. And children have rights to have parents mm-hmm. who actually parent them, Ooh, that's rather it. than that's just cool, yeah. rather than just ignore them or let them do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The reason that parents are parents is because parents know more than children, because parents have more life experience than children, and that's why parenthood is entrusted to parents. And if we don't if we don't use that life experience to parent our children, then our children are going to raise themselves, and if they raise themselves, they're just they're not going to it's mm. going to turn a disaster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like how many times you said parent. Totally agree with you, by the way. <laughs> um, but no, absolutely. And I think what I love about this too is that it started with the fact that he and his mum go walking together daily. Yes. So there's a relationship right there. Absolutely. And you're also being exposed to things that you go, oh, this could be improved. As opposed to, I just keep hearing about all these untidy things. But do you know what I mean? Like, there's when there's distance, it's it's harder to take responsibility for something. And when there's no relationship, you know, like it's there's just so many factors that go into this. Anyway, I just thought that was a cool story. Go. That is a very cool story. Like go. I mean, often we go, oh, fifteen year old like teenagers, and I'm like, yeah, but they're out there. (laughs) (laughs) Now the teen years are the best years. Speaking from a parent's perspective particularly from a father's perspective, the teen years are the best years. No question about it. Mm, interesting. Uh, the teen years are when a dad gets to be able to do all kinds of dad stuff <laughs> with his sons. Uh, I don't, I've never had daughters, but I've been told that, you know, a dad becomes so much more important to a daughter once she reaches the teen years. Mm. And so, and I, I think it's the same with, with children, is that, in the younger years, the mother is more important, but then that moves as children grow into their teens. And this is why you need both parents in the home. Mm-hmm. They give that balance and they really, you know, uh, give direction at different periods at a, at a child's life. Yeah, fully. Mm. Yeah. So, ah, cool. moving on to a group of scientists in Florida have discovered that grey reef sharks form long-lasting relationships with each other that fall somewhere between friendships and business partnerships. They don't know why. They're not saying they're social animals, but they certainly have social groups. 
Okay. Which I just find interesting. Do they have partners, like male, female, female partners? That they didn't mention. Okay. But they said that over, they, I think it was around a four-year period, they tagged a whole bunch of sharks so that, you know, when you come close, you can identify which shark you are. And they noticed that um, these social groups were remarkably stable with the same individuals remaining in their cliques of around 20, like 20 sharks, um, for years and years, despite being in the presence of thousands of other sharks. Um, they don't seem to interact. They don't really know why. They don't know why these social groups are important. They're like, is it something... So they're not related, they're not like brothers and sisters no, and cousins and no. so forth? Not that they can tell. Are these the kind of sharks that just sort of lay an egg that floats around the ocean and hatches in some random place and raises itself? Look, I don't know. Yes, um, I, think, I, think, I think they are. But that, make, that makes it more even more interesting. Yeah. It's like, okay, I'm, Why a, is I'm, this? A, I'm a new little shark and I'm floating around here. Oh, let me make friends with that let shark over friends. there. We will stay friends for <laughs> the rest of our lives. And you and you and you and you, you and can, can be friends go, together. <laughs> and uh, are they mates or are they business partners? Mm. So what they suggested is maybe, um, yeah, it is a business partnership in the sense that if someone – uh, if one of the, if one of the sharks, you know, finds something good, then they can all get amongst it. But I had always thought that sharks wouldn't be like that. I always thought that they'd be a bit greedy and wouldn't want to share. And anyway, well, this is a particular type of shark. You that know, is, you, you yes, look at uh, you look at the dangerous sharks like the great white shark, and they're very, very solitary creatures. They just hang out mm. by themselves and never hang out with anybody else, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's fascinating. Wonders of nature. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Well, joining us on the phone this morning is Baron Neustratton, uh, who is our regular expert on the book of Genesis. Baron, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, uh, Lyle. Baron, last time we talked, we were talking about the call of Abraham and yeah. talking about Abraham as being a man of faith. Now, the Bible kind of begins with this great story of Abraham as a man of faith, and then it launches into another story where you kind of stop and scratch your head and say, okay, wait a minute, was he really a man of faith or not? Uh, what's, yeah. what's, what's going on here? It seems to be so much out of character, isn't it? But I think in this defense, um, whilst the man will be any, uh, he, he did obey God. He left his comfort zone, didn't he? He left his kindred, the civilization that he grew up in, was comfortable with. Uh, we've got to appreciate that Ur of the Galdean was uh, a highly civilized uh, place. This, um, this infrastructure, libraries, sewers, etc. He goes to Upper Mesopotamia, his father dies, and then he comes down south into the land of Canaan. And, uh, uh, yeah, there was a lot for him to, uh, to get through. Canaan was uh, so, so different. Uh, it was occupied by the Canaanites. He didn't have it to himself. He was never going to own it himself. It was promised to his descendants, as you know. And uh, he had been uh, fully, uh, what shall I say, trusting God. But every once in a while there is a temptation when we think that God might need a bit of a helping hand. And I think more than anything else, that was the situation. He evaluated correctly that they were after her. Uh, which is interesting. And the other interesting thing is she was a lady of 65 years of age. So there you are. There's hopeful ladies in that age bracket. Okay, um, so let's, let's, let's just stop and evaluate this story for a moment and just summarize what happens. First of all, there is a famine in Canaan. 
and yeah. Abraham and his family head towards Egypt. And yeah. uh, what is the story? He, 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 he has this story that he wants his wife to tell us. That, just take us through this whole story. The, the reality is that, in fact, he didn't quite lie. He just did hide the truth. And, uh, of course, that's, yeah, in God's eyes, the same thing. Um, he relied now on his own wit. Uh, by saying she was his sister, he was correct because, well, same dad, different mom. So she was, they were related, which was permissible in those days to do that. Uh, bear in mind that the genetic makeup of the people uh, was superior to the current today because 400 years later in Levitical law, it's forbidden uh, to have close marriages like that, which is interesting. Uh, but she was his half-sister. She must have been beautiful. She was 65. He was 75, uh, and he was right about his assessment about the Egyptians, uh, well, the pharaoh, taking her as, uh, wanting to take her as an, uh, as a wife. Uh, of course, pharaoh had many wives, but there was just another one. So, yeah, you can, uh, you can to a degree understand it, but that's not a, that's not an excuse. There's, I guess there's something, yeah, there's just there's just something here that I want to uh, I want to delve into a little bit, and is there a correlation between Sarah as a 65 year old woman being absolutely stunningly beautiful? I mean, the Bible indicates yeah. that she was in yeah. the prime of her life. Is there a correlation between that and the fact that uh, well? let's put it bluntly, incest at this particular point in history has not yet been outlawed. The, the, the genetic makeup uh, would have lent itself to a, a much higher degree of safety. The, the, the mutational mistakes that we have uh, as in our, that runs in, the, in our families would be exasperated and become more pronounced as there is a close marriage between uh, close relations and the chances of complications thereof are much higher. The, that was not the case yet in the, in the days of, of Abram because uh, Sarah was 127 years when she died. And you look at a man like Abram, he was 175 years old when he died. Uh, so there was still the what shall I say, Lyle, the leftover of the original design that man was to live really forever, as we know, but that the constitution of early men was much uh, still superior, um, much superior, of course, uh, particularly the early patriarchs, much superior to us now today. Which, of course, you know, it goes back to that question that I guess uh, we've all been asked at times, you know, who was... Who was Cain's wife? Who was Shem's wife? Yeah. Um, who did they marry? And of course, you know, they were marrying their sisters because Correct. that was Correct. that was what was available. And of course, we would recoil in horror from that today. But sure. in those days, you know, sin had not degraded the genetic makeup of humanity to the point that that was yeah. um, any kind of a problem. And when you see a woman right. of 65, that is the equivalent of a modern-day woman of 35, when you look at her, you know, her lifespan sure. and her age, then yeah. it, it really does come into, into perspective. Yeah, correct. 
And in fact, I mean, you and I already know that 25 years later, there's a repetition. And uh, even at the age of 90, there is a Philistine king who thinks he's rather beautiful and desirable. And we'll come that, uh, to that in later chapters. It yes. Was yeah. Now, um, we have, okay, so we've got this, this situation of these great men of faith. Hebrews describes Abraham as a man of faith because he leaves Ur of the Chaldees. He goes to this new unknown country. It describes that as an act of tremendous faith. Now he's going yeah. down into Egypt. He is worried that because his wife is so beautiful, he obviously recognizes that she is, I guess, above average, that yeah. somebody's going to kill him so that they can have her to be their wife if you know if, if it's known that they're they're married. This seems to yeah. me to be a major, major loss of faith. I, you know, I just put myself in Sarah's shoes, and, and, and at this point, you know, I'd be thinking, "Wow, you know, I've really picked a loser here. Um, not prepared to uh, give me any kind of defence at all." Uh, what's going on with Abraham's faith? Yeah, he was human. None of us are perfect. There is a, there is a, the the test of Abraham, which is of a much later study. Test of Abraham. Uh, was placed there not because God needed to test Abram, you know, in the in, in the matter of uh, um, sacrificing Isaac. It, it, it in the book Patriarchs and Prophet Ellen White puts it very nicely. She said that he, his life, Abram's life, had not always been perfect. So he was not um, free from some error, but considering his faith obedience to the voice of God and having heard the voice of God I think that that would be a tremendous advantage but that still doesn't uh, preclude the possibility of you taking things in your own hands sometimes and thinking yeah I can fix that or uh, um, you know somehow we, well, we seem to think that God might need a helping hand and our intellect is then employed to get us uh, well, uh, in a favourable position, whatever it may be, but it normally gets us into trouble, of course. And this was the case with Abram. It was not a good decision, and he knew that, and he uh, he would have confessed his uh, shortcomings. Uh, but uh, in his defence, when we look at his life, what a man! What a man of faith! That there it is. Yes. He was not perfect, yeah. Indeed, and I'm kind of glad that this story is here because it illustrates to me yes. that, um, you know, we are all human, but it illustrates to me even more so that just because we've had a very close relationship with God in the past, it's that day-by-day experience, and, and the experience that we had yesterday is not necessarily the experience that we have today, and at any time right. we can break that connection with God. Yeah, it's easily done, yeah. Okay, so how does how does how does this situation in Egypt? So he's gone down to Egypt. Uh, there's a famine in Canaan. Uh, I guess he has the advantage, if we could call it that, at this particular point of being a nomad, um, and so travel is something that he's kind of geared up for. He's not living in a in a uh, in a city. Mm. He's living in tents. He travels to Egypt as a place of refuge from the famine. Uh, yeah. He gets there. He's told everybody, oh, you know, this woman, she's my sister. 
And so Pharaoh's like, wow, she's beautiful. I'll add her to the harem, adds her to the harem. What happens next? Yeah, and this is a wonderful thing how God, despite our uh, our mistakes and errors and uh, incorrect assessments and can still deliver us from our mistakes, and so he does with Abram. Uh, it is fascinating that um, uh, originally he does rather well out of the deal. There's kind of a dowry paid to him by Pharaoh, who treats him very kindly on the because uh, on the part of Sarah. Um, might be that the servants included here, by the way, might have included the young woman by the name of Hagar, which is a name that we will get later. It doesn't mention it, but it is most likely that that is where she came into the household of we, Abram. We do know that she's an Egyptian. Yes, she was an Egyptian. Yeah, that's right. So so that's interesting. Um, yeah, very interesting when you consider how that all happened. But the, the Bible says that God smote uh, Pharaoh and his house with a plague. And it, it wasn't a severe plague. We, we don't know what it was. But for some reason, he realized, and it might have been Sarah who might have informed him that the status between her and Abram is more than just brother and sister. And um, he, he obviously, or whether God revealed it to him, I, I don't know. I put my money on Sarah, that who might have made known to him uh, because of the plague, and then he realizes that this God, this God of this man, is a, is a very powerful God. And I love the reaction of him that he commanded the last verse of that uh, that chapter there, uh, that he says, Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and he sent him away with his wife, and all that he had. That includes the dowry that he had given him. So he did do well out of it, but it wasn't meant to be like that. Yes, and certainly not a way for uh, somebody to plan how to um, get ahead in in life. And I wonder whether, you know, you've got some recognition by Pharaoh here of the the power and significance of Abraham's God and maybe a little bit of fear of Abraham's God as well. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, oh, the, yes, the, they took the God of Abraham serious. Yes. And, and we got to remember that this was a culture in which there was a significant level of fear of the gods, regardless of who those gods were. Yeah, because you know they're obviously polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods, namely their own. They were always putting their money on their own gods, hoping that their own gods would be more powerful than the other gods. Also, the other thing that and you mentioned, something interesting here, that that he was more, he led a nomadic life, Abram, because he dwelt in tents. And yet this was the promised land. But the Bible records that the iniquity of the Amorite was not fulfilled yet. In other words, all the, the Canaanites, the Amorites and the Perizzites, they were still on a probationary time. And the, the the presence of Abram um, is more or less the presence of a missionary, whether he sets out systematically to evangelize Canaan. That's probably not the case, but the evidence of his worship of the true God because of the altars from which he offered uh, made his offering to God, expressing his faith in the Redeemer to come, uh, was dotted all over the, the, the land of Canaan. And... Uh, his, his lifestyle, his demeanor, the person that he was, 
he, he never got really into a, a disagreement with Canaanites. He, uh, he was revered, he was respected, but he never owned really any land, only the, the grave sites near the Oaks of Mambre. That's the only place that he bought and paid for, that uh, he was a wanderer. Mm. He, did not, uh, he did not possess the land himself. And I find in this is a marvelous message that, um, you know, he was, uh, as we told, in the world, but not from the world. He was in Canaan, but he was not from Canaan. But he brought the knowledge of the true God to them. And that uh, might have prolonged the uh, probationary time of the Amorites and the, the Canaanites. Yeah, fantastic uh, object lesson. Yeah, yeah, fa- yeah, fantastic yeah, object yeah, lesson for us. Yeah, correct, yeah. Baron, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, pleasure. That was Baron Neustraten, our resident expert on the book of Genesis. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Right now, it is time for... Question of the Day. And what is our question of the day today, Minnie? Why does God seem to punish women um, with menstruation? Or why? No, why? Why? Oh, I forgot my question. What for menstruation. For, yeah, yeah, for menstruation. I was like, I've got my word wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, so, um, yes. All right, let's answer this question. The question was asked, so we need to answer it's it. It's got to be answered. Okay, if you go to Leviticus chapter 15, and the, and the question really arises as a result of a sacrifice mm. that is required of women after they have finished their uh, menstrual period. And you find it in Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 15 is divided up into a number of sections. The first 15 verses deal with abnormal male conditions. Then you have a couple of verses on normal male conditions. Then you have a section, a couple of verses, or a verse on normal conjugal relations. Mm -hmm. Then you have uh, from verse 19 to 23 is normal female conditions. And then in verse 24, you have inopportune conjugal relations Mm -hmm. followed by abnormal female conditions. Now, an abnormal condition is basically a disease. And this question kind of came out as a result of a couple of days ago, we were talking about the woman who had the issue of blood. And so she had been menstruating for, what was it, 10 years or something? 12 years. 12 years. 12 years, yeah. And so that was was really terrible. And that's a disease. Mm-hmm. That's, that's abnormal, that's a disease. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 25, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she's ceremonially unclean. It then goes on to talk about a whole bunch of hygienic practices that she is to take. She's to wash her clothes. If she sits on something, she is to wash that. Everything gets washed and cleaned. Mm. Um, and so that's entirely appropriate, particularly in a society where they didn't have the hygienic products that we have today. Aye. This is very, very good advice. Then the Bible goes on at the end and it says that when she is healed of this disease, okay, so this is the key part. When she is healed of the disease, she's go to the priest and bring a sacrifice, a couple of turtle doves. Mm. Now, what that is, is that is a sacrifice of thankfulness. And what God is teaching is thankfulness for healing. We should always be thankful when we're healed of any disease and we should always thank God when we're healed of a disease. Mm. So as opposed to a sacrifice for sin. 
That's right. This yes. is not a sin offering that is mm-hmm. taking place right here. This is what's called a burnt offering. Mm-hmm. And so a burnt offering is a sacrifice that you offer as, you know, I'm just consecrating myself to God because I love him so much because he has healed me of this particular disease. Mm. And so in this case, because people are like, oh, why does, why does God punish women for menstruating? No, this is not a punishment. This is a, this is a sacrifice of thanks. And this sacrifice of thanks applies to any person mm. who is healed of any disease. Aye. It just happens to be speaking about this one specifically mm-hmm. on this particular occasion. Got you. And you know, if you if you kind of uh, just as some people are want to do, take a verse on its own and take it out of context and don't read verse twenty five. You can go, oh wow, God really hates women right here. Um, not only do they have to deal with menstruation, but then they have to have a sacrifice every time they do. Uh, that's that's pretty rough. Um, no, that's not the case. What the case is, when you're healed of a disease, give God thanks. Mm. That's all he's asking for. And that's what the passage is all about. That's our question of the day. If you have a question of the day, do send it through 1-800-324-843 or text it on 0491-064-669. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.